Well, as we begin this morning, I, I do want to um, pray for Nepal. You know, we have made a commitment as a leadership team that we would pray for the circumstances in Nepal in a prayer meeting before service. You're all invited to come, 845, right here in the, the prayer room and also here before us. Frank didn't know, doesn't know about the particular circumstances in Nepal, and so I want to just bring them before you. Many of you got the email this week about just the difficulties they've been having with the Maoists and um, just even this week, they're going to begin building again despite the, the Maoist threats because they think it's kind of lessing up a little bit. You know, just we need to pray for, especially Suri Lal, the, uh, the pressures come upon him, threatened to take away one of his children, have uh, even threatened him to cause him to leave the city um, or leave the village where he is. And uh, he thinks those are kind of false threats a little bit. They've come down. But we need to, we need to pray for Nepal and the situation there. Also, um, many of you also know that Mike and Julie Dirks had baby twins yesterday. Uh, I think it's Lila Rosa and Gracie Joy. Maybe it's Lila Rose. Uh, I couldn't quite read my own writing as so I was really trying frantically to write things down, but a, a time of, of rejoicing. Yvonne and I are going to go see them this afternoon. Um, they both expressed disappointment not being with us, especially Julie, because she says she loves the turkey and wanted as turkey. So Vaughn and I are going to pack some turkey up and, and take it to her this afternoon. So we have a, we have a time of rejoicing uh, with the Dirks, and we also have a time of uh, real concern halfway around the world for the difficulties taking place in Nepal. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into the Word. Lord, we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we rejoice this morning with the Dirks. And um, Lord, how, how great it is that you were so faithful to allow... Um, Julie, to give birth after 36 hours of labor and uh, to give birth to two relatively healthy children, though one is in uh, ICU right now with uh, some breathing difficulties. Mike wasn't too concerned. This is typical among um, twins especially who, who aren't as developed coming out of the womb. Um, and yet things are, are going well. I even speaking on the phone yesterday with Mike, just rejoicing in the goodness of, of God and in that we can rejoice. We do pray now for these two precious ones, that you would lead them to faith in Christ, that they would embrace the only Savior that exists, Jesus Himself. So Lord, we, we pray for that. I pray that we, have, even as a church, have opportunities to, to rise up. I know it's been our, our custom, um, Lord, to give meals and to help in whatever way we can. I don't even know who's organizing that, but I know that someone is. And um, certainly opportunities are there to really serve the Dirks. I pray they'd feel loved at this time. I pray they'd feel helped and uh, that we might just simply serve them in an abundant way to help them as a family. I pray for Mike for strength as he is off work these next two weeks. I pray that he would be a, a good servant of his wife. Lord, we also pray for Nepal. Um, Lord, I think of the, the recent difficulties and things are so bad, Bob Clinton can't even get to uh, Bakunde right now just because of the threats and the things that that would mean and the implication in trying to extort money from this orphanage slash church building we're helping to build for them. And so I pray that you would give wisdom, first of all, to Bob, that he might know how to handle the situation, how to help and counsel and advise. I pray also especially for Jeevan, as he seems to know more being in Kathmandu and has some contacts with those in the Maoists and can have a flavor of what's going on. But Lord, we do pray, especially for Suri Lal and the the deacons are at the church. I pray that you'd help them, give them wisdom. I think as this building goes up and as the talk of the, the village and community and town and people, I pray that, that they would lead in a way that's strong and bold. We do pray for Sir Lau's safety. I think about how difficult it is. And yet when the church is persecuted, it flourishes. 
And I think as the pressures come upon him and as you strengthen him to stand firm in his resolve to serve Christ and to uh, be joyful and to help in every way, um, God, we know that you will prosper that. And we pray that you would prosper with more converts there, people who come to, to see the vitality of a faith in Christ and how much better and more happy that is than um, a faith in dead idols, which only condemn and instill fear. So God, I pray for these things that you would help in mighty ways. And I pray even now as we open your word, I pray that you would help us and, and help our marriages, Lord, to take it to another level. Um, God, to strengthen where things are strong and to help where things are weak and to encourage of, of areas that need to be encouraged. And Lord, I long for strong families among us. And I'm thankful for the strong families that are here and the husbands that love their wives and the wives that submit to their husbands. But I pray by your Spirit you'd come and uh, show us where we need to change and show us where we need to be convicted by your grace and your goodness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning with a, a story of a, of a married couple. I'm not sure if this story is true or not. Um, kind of heard it, you know, some, some type. But if, if not, it still is a great illustration. They were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, this couple, though they were on the older side, were, were practically like newlyweds. You ever seen an older couple like that? It, it's so cute, right, when they call each other pet names and when they, they, they boast of each other and they have a happiness and joy together and they walk arm in arm together and... Uh, it's just a, a delight to see. I've seen several husbands and wives like that. But on this day of their 50th wedding anniversary, obviously happy together, obviously in love with one another, uh, the man was asked, kind of in a presentation, what, what's the key to maintaining your happiness throughout all these years in your marriage? And he responded, he said, it's simple, really. We're both madly in love with the same person. We are both madly in love with Jesus Christ. And that makes all the difference in the world for our marriage. How appropriate that story is for us this morning because we come in our exposition of the book of Colossians to chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. We are going to see Christian marriage. And it is all founded upon loving Jesus Christ. You know, these words come in context. They come in context of a letter. Today isn't simply a message about marriage devoid of context. It's a message about marriage in light of a letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian people. He wrote to those who embrace the Christian faith. He wrote to those who embrace the supremacy of Christ in all things, who, who believed in His sufficient sacrifice for them upon the cross. They believed that their sins were all wiped away in Him and they had a hope of heaven. And they were trusting in Christ to make them complete in every way. And having begun upon that foundation in chapters 1 and 2, in chapter 3, verse 5, he, he takes a turn, Paul does, and really says, okay, if all this is true of Christ, then, then let's think about the practical implications of that. And the practical implications come in, in chapter 3, verse 5. First, with the things that we should stay away from, both in our actions and in our words. And then in verses 12 through 17, really the attitudes that we ought to have as chosen, holy, and beloved of God people. And now beginning in verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 1, or you might continue to chapter 4, verse 6 really, is now bringing, bringing application into our very lives where each of us live. He's going to address marriages in verses 18 and 19. In verse 20 and 21, he's going to address parenting and, and children. 
And in chapter 3, verse 22, beginning into chapter 4, verse 1, he's going to talk about what our life should be at work. And then chapter 4, verses 2 and following, he just speaks about how we should behave towards those outside of the church as well. So it's a real practical session. I'm planning on taking a, a message on each of these. A message today on marriage. A message next week on parenting. And uh, I think we'll probably do a Thanksgiving message and then maybe something after Thanksgiving. But eventually we'll get then to uh, a message about work. Just one, one message on each of these topics. And we've come to 18 and 19. My message is entitled this morning, Christian Marriage, because this is a picture of a Christian marriage. Colossians 3:18 and 19. I want to read it for you. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. So short, what can we do? We can read it again, right? Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. You know what's interesting about these verses is there's no problem with understanding these words. It's like zero. No textual problems. No debate over the intention of Paul in these words. No symbolism or allegory that might be called here into question. Might call another interpretation. Might say, oh, maybe he's got a deeper meaning. Maybe, you know, maybe we can allegorize this away. No, he's as clear as can be. Wives are submit to their husbands and husbands are to love their wives. The other statements kind of support all those things, right? He's addressing these two people. He's addressing wives, addressing husbands, addressing the married women, addressing the married men, telling the married women what, how they ought to behave, telling the married men how they ought to behave. It's real simple. And yet, as easy as it is, and as clear as these words are, they're some of the most resisted verses in all the Scripture. Especially in our American culture, the reason these scriptures, these verses are hated is because there are some who believe that they're degrading to women. They will take women down, people think. There are some who believe that verse 18 makes women into doormats who will only be trampled upon by their own husbands. They believe that a, such a demand upon women to subject themselves to their husbands will only demand, will only result in women being an oppressed group of people in our land of freedom to stifle the freedom of any is a cardinal sin. And that's not my purpose this morning to demonstrate how opposed the culture is to these ideas presented by the Apostle Paul. But if you're half awake, you know of the things taking place. The feminist movement is all around us. It's crept into the church. And I don't believe that's any accident at all. The feminist movement, as it has gained steam, has begun to crush marriage. It's really where it's come from. You think about marriages today as opposed to marriages 30 years ago as to marriages 100 years ago, marriages then, I think we're stronger than they are today, mostly because of the feministic influence that's come in. But you know what? I'm not going to tirade today against our culture. That's not my purpose. I simply say this, is that wherever Christianity has flourished, it's always been good for women. Always, always. Every culture, every day. Christians come in, it has been good and profitable for women. Oh, to some these words might seem out of date. To some these words might seem oppressive, but they aren't. They aren't at all. When you understand them and when you live them, they're not that way. 
And so today I proclaim to you God's Word without compromise, without apology, and without shame. These are timeless principles that God has given to us in His Word to help us out. They're not outdated. They're not oppressive. Because I know that in following these things, it always leads to a path of blessing. Always does. You know, whenever a command exists in Scripture, be convinced, beloved, that it's always there for our good. I remember a pastor listening to him. He said, whenever God says don't, what he really means is don't hurt yourself. And so also with these commands here, as wives act within their God-given roles within marriage, and as husbands act within their God-given roles within marriage, there will be peace and harmony and happiness and joy within their marriage. You know, the happiest marriages that I have ever seen have always been those where the wives are submitting themselves to their husbands and where the husbands are lovingly leading their wives. That's always the formula for happy marriage. If you want a happy marriage this morning, follow these words. Because when both parties are fulfilling their God-given roles, the home's a happy place. But when wives are rebelling against this word and refusing to submit to their husbands, and where the husbands are refusing to love their wives but involved in their own selfish plans and selfish ways, I guarantee you that's a formula for an unhappy home. So for your own good, for your own help, for your own blessing, I say, husbands and wives, obey these things. And I can just give you a testimony here this morning about my wife. She is one that submits wonderfully to me. As I see that attitude in her, do you know what it causes me to do? What do you think, man? It causes me to love her more. As I love her more, what does it cause her to do? Submit to me more. And that's the path. And I just say our marriage may, may not be the best marriage in the world, but I would say that we have great joy and happiness in our marriage. At least I do. <laughs> you can speak for yourself. But you know what? These things come because, as Jake said, we all submit. And we have submitted ourselves to the authority of God's Word. It's over us. And we just said, it. if this is what God calls us to, this is what we need to do. And when you do that, it comes with great blessing. You know, as I look upon marriages out here, I see that among some of these marriages as well. And I'm delighted here at Rock Valley Bible Church to see that where others are taking place in the home. Yeah. Some it's harder. You know, I'm not I'm not ranking each of you. I just I just know that there there's some of us in some place and some of us in others. And and I just see that for the vast majority of us, these things are taking place. You know, this isn't coming as a rebuke. It's not saying that oh, you wives you're not submitting and your husbands you're not loving. You know, it, it's coming hopefully today as an encouragement <coughs> to foster and fan the flame of what you're doing, because you're biblical people and you know what's taking place. So, for your own happiness, I give you two exhortations this morning. The first is to wives. The second is to husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And as we look at these points, you need to know that these words are really applicable to all of us in the congregation. Okay? You might say, hey, I'm not a wife, I'm not a husband, but children, you know what? You may be a wife or a husband someday. How many of you kids want to be a wife or a husband someday? Rachel, did your arm go up? Do you want to be a wife or a husband? Okay, I thought so. And Amanda, you too? Maybe. Amanda's a maybe. (laughs) But you need to be realize that these are the kind of things that you want to develop in your character. Girls, you want to develop a submissive spirit. And boys, you want to foster love in your own heart and mind. 
And young men, be on the lookout for women who are, are, are delight to submit, who you know will someday delight to submit to you. And, 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 and young ladies, right? Be, be on the lookout for men who love, who love their brothers and their sisters and their mothers and their fathers and the people around them. Because if you see them exhibiting love, boy, when they get in a marriage relationship, they will be capable of loving you. So, so it's very applicable to you, children. You know, it's also applicable to those of you maybe you've never been married or maybe stands today having been married and maybe no hope of being married in return. Um, I see a couple of you, perhaps, who's that situation like. And I say it's applicable to you because I'm just going to say to you all, do everything in your power to help foster these things in the church. If you see women willingly submitting to their husbands, boy, praise them and um, thank them and encourage them in that role. And when you see men who are loving their wives, boy, just do everything you can to applaud them and, and help them and, and commend them as examples and models that others will follow. Because as these relationships happen and exist in our body, they just make our body much stronger than ever before. And of course, for you who are married, there's straight application coming to you today. So none of you should feel excluded. It's all coming right to you. My first point this morning, wives, submit to your husbands. So I take this command, I want now to address the wives in the congregation. Okay, I'm not talking to you men, I'm talking to you wives. That's what Paul did. Men, you can eavesdrop on the conversation. But you know what, guys? There's really a, there's really a sense in me that would wish right now, if we say, you know what, guys, <laughs> let's leave the room, like, get in the gymnasium and wait as I, as I address the wives. Because I know that as you hear these things, you might be tempted to take up your baseball bat, which has got your verse on it, and be able to say, wives, you need to submit to me, right? And, and you know what? It's not because the truth isn't on your side, because right there, was it say in the Scripture, wives, submit to your husbands, I'm your husband, and I'm going to take out my Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 bat. And there's a danger in that, I know. So in some sense, I want you men to, to not listen or to be out. Or I remember, well, what was that show, Maxwell Smart? What's it called? Get... The Cone of Silence. Maybe that's over you men right now, okay? Because as soon as you take up your baseball bat and demand Colossians 3.18, you might have the truth on your side, but you're devoid of love. Totally devoid of love. And love is what you need to be in verse 19. When would you take out a bat like that? It's only when your wife isn't doing what you want her to do and so you're trying to force your will upon her. So you take Colossians 3.18 and push it on her. But love isn't seeking your own, right? What's love doing? Love is dying to self. And so you've just, you've just totally missed it if ever you take this verse and wield it high and hard to intimidate your wife in a very real sense. The one who takes up his Colossians 3.18 club has a log in his own eye when he's trying to take a speck out of his wife's eye. A husband who seeks to force his wife into submission has entirely forgotten what verse 19 is. And we will get to verse 19, okay? So, know that Colossians 3.18 knows nothing of the use of force or intimidation. And it's interesting, even in the Greek text it comes out, it says verse 18 here, Wives, be subject to your husbands. 
Now, this verb in the Greek text, be subject, is in the middle voice. <clears throat> now, that doesn't mean anything to hardly any of you. It's a middle voice. Maybe if you take some Greek, you might know it. But in Greek, there are three voices. There's an active voice, there's a middle voice, and there's a passive voice. An active voice is something that, that you do. Okay, it's normally what's used. A passive voice is something that's done unto you, but a middle voice is something that you of yourself do. It's a little bit like the uh, English reflexive voice, right? I'm not sure that's the exact term for it, but it's the reflexive act. You're doing it to yourself. You're doing it by yourself. And to show the the true intent of the middle voice here in verse 18, you could translate these words kind of interpretively like this. (coughs) Wives. Voluntarily submit yourselves to your husbands with all eagerness and willingness on your own part. That's what verse 18 is saying. Uh, Of your own self, right? Coming from your own self, subject yourselves to your husbands. That's what this is saying. To make it clear, it doesn't say, okay, now I'm talking to you men. uh, It doesn't say, men, see to it that your wives submit. It doesn't say that. It says, wives, of your own accord, of your own desire, willingly submit yourselves to your husband. It makes all the difference in the world how it comes. One is oppressive, one is delightful. This is worded in such a way that wives are those who to freely and willingly submit themselves, right? You know what? This is what Jesus did. Jesus willingly, of His own accord, submitted Himself to His Heavenly Father. Do you know that? In fact, He always submitted Himself to His Heavenly Father. Eternity past, in the Incarnation, eternity future, He's always going to submit Himself to His Heavenly Father. Consider the Incarnation. Jesus said, I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father has taught me, and He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for here it is, I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. Jesus did everything on the earth in submission to His Heavenly Father. He responded to His Father's initiative. He lived as to so submit Himself to the pleasure of the Father. It's biblical submission, right? Placing yourself under the authority of another and willingly following their instructions. That's what submission is. That's what Jesus did in the Trinity. When Jesus came to earth, He said, Behold, I have come to do Your will. Hebrews 10, verse 9. In eternity past, Jesus submitted Himself to the Father. John 3.16, think about this. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You can't give something that you don't have or have authority over, right? Do you realize that? It was the Father who had the Son and was able then to give the Son because the Father had, even in eternity past, they planned redemption as the Father did. He gave the Son. Now, the Son willingly came in obedience to the Father to do His will. But you can't give what you don't have authority over. And you can't send those you don't have authority over. At one point, Jesus cried out in the synagogue. He says, I've not come of Myself, but He who sent Me is true, whom you do not know, and I know Him, because I'm from Him and He sent Me. Jesus, walking on the earth, said, My Father sent Me here. You start thinking about it, it's pretty... Astonishing. To send another means that that person who sent you has authority over you to do what he wants. Maybe you remember the centurion who came to Jesus regarding his sick servant, right? His sick servant was lying home paralyzed and in much pain. And 
And uh, Jesus said, okay, I'll come. <laughs> so Terry, remember what he said? He said, no, 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 don't come. He said, Matthew 8, 8 to 9, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word, my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. So you can't send somebody you don't have authority over. You don't send your boss to go talk to somebody else, right? Your boss sends you because he has authority over you. And so also the father is the one who sent the son. It's a demonstration. He had authority over the son. The son submitted to him. And forever in the future, the son will submit to the authority of the father as well. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28 speaks about when all things are subjected to Jesus. You know what Jesus is going to do? He, he, he's sitting in his throne waiting until his enemies made a footstool. This will be a day when his enemies made a footstool and he's, he's ruler over all. Do you know what he's going to do with all that? He's going to take it all. He's going to submit it to the Father. He's going to bow down and say that, Father, that God may be all in all. That's what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28. That the Son Himself will also be subjected to the One who subjected all things to Him so that God may be all in all. You know, this is the Trinity, right? It is, it is perfect love towards one another, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's perfect submission. They work together in harmony and in unity together. And you know what? This is what allows Christian marriages to work so well. Because we see God is one who submits. God is one, Christ Jesus, who humbles Himself. And therefore, it's not demeaning for wives in any way to submit or to humble themselves before a husband. But think on the other hand of the Muslim religion. You know, their God stands high above. Allah does, stands high above. And anything he does is right. There's no subjection. And he's not even in constraint to his own moral law. He can do evil. And just because he's God, it's because it works. Allah would never be known to submit to anything. Why do you think it is that the Arabs are always like They don't have a God who submits. We have a God who submits. Submission is not an evil thing. It's not a demeaning thing because our God is one who submits. In fact, that's the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. I want you to understand, Paul says, that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of a woman and God is the head of Christ. To be head means that you're in a position of authority and to have a head means you're in a position of submission and in the same sense that Christ has submitted Himself willingly to the Father, so also wives should submit themselves willingly to their husbands. It's the parallel of the Trinity. So in your marriages, you have an opportunity to show the Trinity. You know, fundamentally though, when it comes down to it, we all, we all submit. We can either submit willingly or we can submit unwillingly. But all of us who profess the name of Jesus has bowed our knees to King Jesus. We know what submission is. And for wives particularly, as they, as they um, submit to their husbands, it's a demonstration. Hey, I've submitted to the Lord and I'm submitting to my husband as well because it's what God calls me to do. Submission is not wrong in any way. I mean, our society wouldn't work without submission. When you drove here to church this morning, you submitted to the government, I hope, stopping at stop signs, stopping at stoplights. You didn't just press on. We know what it is to submit to teachers, children. You know that, right? They give you an assignment. You say, okay, I'll do that. If it doesn't work, if you don't do that, you don't learn. Society doesn't work, right? And for those of us who work, we know what it is to submit to our bosses. Otherwise, the workplace would be anarchy. Submission is crucial for society. And even within a marriage, it is crucial. And yet, 
You know what? The truth of knowing wives often find it difficult to submit to their husbands. Do you know that? Wives, do you know that? You find it difficult sometimes? Say why. Well, first of all, I think there's fear. Fear of what's going to happen if you don't defend yourself. I remember hearing of a humorous account of a husband who sought to establish his um, authority right from the start in his marriage. And uh, on their honeymoon, they had an opportunity to go horseback riding. And so they're out horseback riding in the Wild West and, and going okay. And then the, the horse of the husband stumbled a little bit. <laughs> and the husband said, that's one. And as they kind of went along, they went through some trails and kind of were going along. And then at one point, the horse kind of brushed him up close to a tree and kind of went under a, a low-flying branch and kind of hit him and almost knocked him off. And the husband grit his teeth and said, that's two. They're riding along at one point. The horse was spooked a little bit, kind of bucked him and almost knocked the uh, husband off his saddle. He dismounted from his horse. He took out his gun. He went, shot the horse. Said, that's three. The wife said, what did you do that for? And the husband said, that's one. Ladies, you're fearful of that. You're fearful that that's how your husband will treat you. Harsh, hard. But you know what? There's a more fundamental reason why wives find a, a reason why it's difficult not to submit to their husband. It has to do with the curse. It has to do with the curse. Think about Adam and Eve before the fall. Their marriage, I'm sure, was bliss. Perfect man, perfect woman, sinless man, sinless wife, together in their garden, both created equal in the image of God, spiritually having communion with God, being able to walk with Him in the garden, recipients of God's abundant blessing. He pronounced a blessing upon them. He called their marriage, their marriage union, very good. Both of them were objects of God's kindness walking in the garden. Both of them had fellowship with God. They're with each other in openness and total honesty without shame in any regard. I'm sure they worked together in the garden, greatly blessed as their perfect complement for each other. You know, before the fall, there was this headship and this submission before the fall as well. Right? His role was to lead and her role was to help. Why was Eve created? Created to be a help. Right? As Adam gave Eve a name, it meant he had authority over her. After they sinned, who did God call to give account for the sin? Adam, because Adam was to lead. As you read the rest of the Bible, you find out Adam had a special role representing the entire human race. Eve included in a special way as his wife. And these things, listen, imply that Adam had authority over Eve before the fall. Right? Headship and submission existed before the fall. It's not a result of the fall. It doesn't mean that Adam was superior to Eve. didn't mean that Eve was inferior to Adam, this one who followed. They're, just, they're made in the image of God, spiritual equals. It's just that they, they live in harmony with one leading and one submitting, like a, a pitcher and a catcher. One's got a throw and one's got a catch. It's just a different role. The pitcher isn't any more important than the catcher. The catcher isn't any more important than the pitcher. Different roles, not superior to one another. And this is a case of Adam and Eve in creation. But you know what? Something dreadful happened. It's called the fall. And Adam and Eve incurred the curse of God upon them, their souls. Listen carefully what the curse, the curse that fell upon the woman. 
says this in Genesis 3.16. says, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain I'll bring forth your children. You know, we're not going to talk about that today. It's not our focus. We're going to talk about this next phrase that God cursed her with. It says, yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. It has to do with the relationship between a, a husband and a wife as a result of the fall. Falls crush the relationship. Falls given the women of this world a desire to, to rule over their husbands. Your desire will be for your husband. That, the word's used two other times in Scripture. The most close time is when um, God was talking to Cain and, and Cain was being tempted. His countenance had fallen and, and Cain says, you know what? Sin is desiring to rule over you. Its desire is for you. And so also the same word here. Women, you have a desire for your husband. And the desire there is just like sin's desire is to conquer and take control and to have at it. But the frustration is that as weaker vessels, often the case is that their desires to rule aren't fulfilled and men will dominate them instead. Instead, husbands will rule over wives, right? Men in the home will be domineering over their wives. That's the curse. Listen, abuses take place in the home not because of authority and submission. Abuses take place in the home because of the fall. It's because of the fall and because of sin. Sin has given women wrong desires over their husbands and sin has caused husbands then to be tyrants in the home. And in Colossians 3, 18 and 19, everything is turned around and everything is sought to be undone. I mean, this is the gospel restoring us to pre-fall days. That's what it's doing. Restoring us to the way Adam and Eve were before the fall. Why would a woman, let me ask you this, why would a woman ever submit to a husband? Only because she has first submitted to her glorious Lord who's redeemed her from her sins and has promised to bring her in the glory. And she knows as obedient followers of, of Him that if He says to submit, sure she will. And let me ask you, why would a husband love his wife sacrificially rather than domineering it over her? Only because of the Gospel. Only because he knows of the love that Christ has for him. But then he'll turn and respond. And so everything here in Colossians 3, 18 and 19 is all is all undoing the curse and bringing us back to pre-fall days. The wives are called to submit to their husbands rather than their sinful desires have come as a result of the fall to rule over their husbands. And the husbands, on the other hand, are called to sacrificially love their wives rather than ruling over them with an iron fist as came with the curse of Genesis 3.16. So how is a woman to submit? It says right here in verse 18, S is fitting in the Lord. In other words, the wife is to submit to her husband. It's appropriate for her to do as a follower of Christ. In Ephesians 5, which Frank read for us this morning, we receive a more detailed explanation of what's fitting. Paul wrote this, Ephesians 5, 22-24, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, ask to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. God explains what's fitting in the Lord. Total submission is what it's calling for. As the church is subject to Christ, and are we not subject to Christ? Is He not our rule and sovereign one? 
so also wives should submit to their husbands. I mean, that's what it says, Ephesians 5.22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, ask to the Lord. Right? You're supposed to think, wives, about your own submission to the Lord. <coughs> and say, okay, what does that look like? And then think then, okay, well, that needs to be similar to my submission to my husband. Christ the head of the church, therefore you submit to His leadership. Your husband is the head of the wife, therefore submit to His leadership. But listen, there is a difference though between Jesus and your husband. Isn't there? How many of you have Jesus for a husband? Not, not many of you. Right? Jesus was sinless. Your husband is sinful. Makes your submission a, a bit different. Jesus, you know that everything... He tells you to do is entirely for your good. You can trust that. That's easy to submit to Him. But when your husband <coughs> filled with sinful desires, it's, it's, it's more difficult. He might lead you wrong, a wrong path. His judgment isn't perfect. Let me ask this though. Is there ever an instance where you can refuse to submit to your husband? I can think of one. And the one is when your husband would lead you into sin. Husband's telling you something sinful. I say the principle of Acts chapter 5, verse 29 is true, right? We must obey God rather than man. At that point, wives, you say, nope, I need to obey God rather than man. Sorry, dear, I love you. I can't do that. But in everything else, I think Ephesians 5, I think Colossians chapter 3 calls wives to submit to their husbands in everything. So let me ask you, wives... Husbands, you're not listening. How many times has your husband sought to lead you in a path of sin? Can, can, can you think of any? How many times has your husband sought to lead you in a path of sin? Because at that point, you can, um, you can refuse to submit. Because I don't think that's fitting. My guess would be probably relatively few number of times that actually you could identify, you know what, that was a sinful thing and I didn't submit. Now, surely there are some wives here who had, have had perhaps unbelieving husbands and maybe there are many instances in that case, okay? But I think for the most part, our congregation here is filled with husbands and wives who embrace the gospel of Christ, submitting themselves to the Lord. I would contend for the most part that your husband hasn't led you in sinful ways. So don't make the excuse in yourself that says, oh, because of the abuse, I can't. Well, is your husband abusing that responsibility now? Is he leading you in a path of sin? He's not. I simply say submit to him. I'm not as a pastor even going to wield my Colossians 3.18 club. Okay? If I'm in a counseling situation and a wife isn't submitting to a husband, I'm not going to take out the club. I'm going to treat like Paul. You know what? It's, it's, your, it's your own responsibility. It's your own delight. It's your own um, pleasure. It's your own willingness that should do that. Here's the Word of God. I just put that for you. But I'm in no way going to force you to do that. Because I don't think a husband should. So I won't either as a pastor. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Point number two. <clears throat> husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Okay, now it's time, ladies, to put on the cone of silence and husbands to, um, to come alive here a little bit because 
There is a way which I wish we could take the wives and put them in the, the gymnasium. I talked just to you men because they won't take out the club. Okay? But as they know the extent to which you are called to love them, they might easily say, my husband isn't loving me like that. I don't need to submit. And they kind of hold that over the husband. Or, or maybe they'll, no, you don't love me. Or they'll, they'll use this as a, as a verbal weapon against the husband. And wives, you can't ever do that. Just as husbands can never use this submission, submit to me, wife, so also wives, don't use this love thing against your husband. Okay. Wives, husbands, here it is. Love your wives. Love your wives. Husbands, husbands, love your wives. How do you do that? Well, I think everything in verses 12 through 14 is included that. Husbands, be compassionate towards your wife. Know her strengths and her weaknesses. Know when she hurts. Be tender with her. Help her in her strengths and weaknesses. Husbands, verse 12, be kind towards your wife. Do things for her. Say nice things for her. Help her. Serve her. Be nice to her. Be kind to her. Husbands, walk with humility. Don't draw attention to yourself, husbands. Right? But, but rather, right, call attention to her. She's more important. And where the truth be known, she is the better half. Husbands, be gentle with your wives. Verse 12. Your wife is delicate. You need to treat her like a, a fine piece of china. You're not rough with a fine piece. You don't shovel a fine piece of china. You pick it up and you, you carefully place it. You know, we got some china in our house. And um, so I do the dishes on occasion. I don't take the... Uh, the china and rub it even with um, like this bristle brush we have. I don't do that with china. What do I do? I take out the soft washcloth and wipe off our china. You need to be gentle with your wives. Your words need to come with sensitivity. You need to be patient with your wife. Suppose, for instance, you have a busy day and, and your wife backs out of the garage but runs into the garage door. Ruins the garage door. It's like you're busy. You got stuff to do. And it's a busy day and your garage door doesn't work. What are you supposed to do? Be patient with them and help them and serve them. And you know what? I ran into the garage door yesterday. I ruined a garage door. I tried to fix it. I made it worse. <laughs> Saturday is a big day for me. So I really think about refining my message. And you know what? My wife was patient to me. But, you know, I really was thinking about this. I need to be patient with her if she ran into the garage door. Be sensitive to the pressures of her day that have come upon her. Don't demand things of your life right now. But be patient. Realize what's taking place. Right? You're called to bear with your wife. Verse 13. Bear with her, right? When things are difficult for her, don't just stand away. Come with her. Come alongside of her. Help be part of the solution. Be patient with her. Help her. 
Don't abandon her, but help her through the difficult times. Don't just say, well, you deal with that. Maybe some problem with the in-laws. You deal with that. Maybe it's a a dying mom. They're your parents. (laughs) Listen, come alongside with them and help bear her burden. Love your in-laws. They're dying dead. When they when they need help and care, boy, you love them. Because that's her burden and you need to take that up. You called to forgive her. Verse 13. Keep no record of her sins. None. Don't have this pet sin. Oh yeah, I remember that. Oh, you remember that time? Husbands, you can't be doing any of that. Rather, you know what? Treat her like the Lord does. You know how the Lord looks upon your believing wife? Sins forgiven, pure, clean, righteous in Christ. And so you also realize that, you know, yeah, she did sin, but but if God considers her clean through faith in Christ, I ought to consider her clean through faith in Christ. That's what it means to love, right? A few weeks back, we looked at 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. As a husband, you're called every single one of these things to do towards your wife. Bottom line, you're called to love your wife as yourself. It might mean giving up your fishing trip with the guys to spend time with her. In my case, it might mean, and this hurts, it might mean sacrificing the football game to do a project that she wants me to do. That's love. It might mean studying her, thinking of ways that you actually can serve her and, and give her delight. It means asking her, right? It, Honey, is there anything that I can do to make you happy or you like to do? And, and for some wives, it's different, right? Some wives just want you to tell them again and again that you love them. I love you. Every morning, right? every night, every noon, every meal, you just vocalize your love and tell her why you love her. For some, it might be more you should give her, right? Give me flowers. I like flowers. Give me other gifts. Surprise me. Surprise me with notes. Surprise me with this. Surprise me with that. Study your wife to figure out what it is that she really likes. Because if you do what it is she really likes, it shows that you really love her because you spent time thinking about her. If if your wife's like my wife, boy, do tons of projects around the house. I've said many times, if I built shelves every day, my wife would be very, very happy. (laughs) She always wants shelves on a shelf here and a shelf there, and I'm forever building shelves. I got some shelves I got to build now for my wife still. If I, I could build shelves every day and she'd be happy, right? Well, maybe we'd run out of wall space, but. <laughs> she likes massages. Give her massages. She likes to go to the symphony. Go to the symphony. I mean, die to yourself. Love her as you would love yourself. That's what it means, husbands. Think back to your wedding day. You stood before a pastor and before your family, before your friends, and you, and you promised something like this. I take you to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish from this day forward until death unto do us part. You men, remember saying something like this? Okay, it may have been more simple. Paul's just saying, be true to your wedding vows. 
be true to this which you promised and pledged before God and love your wife. It's a high calling, but you know what? By God's grace, it can be done. I love the testimony of Robertson Milquilkin. You heard this man before? And some of you are raising your heads. In fact, he, this man loved his wife so well that um, there's an award, I think Family Life Radio gives every year, the Robertson Milquilkin Award, particularly to the husband or wife who really cares and demonstrates sacrificial love for his wife or husband. But he was a president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary, I think for like 22 years. In 1990, he announced his retirement because his wife Muriel was suffering from advanced Alzheimer's disease. And um, these were the words he chose to announce his resignation. I think he wrote this kind of officially or some article or something. He said this, My dear wife Muriel has been in failing health for about eight years. And so far I have been able to carry both her, both for her ever-growing needs and my leadership responsibilities at Columbia Bible College. But recently it's become apparent that Muriel is contented most of the time she's with me, but almost none of the time when she's away from me. It's not just discontent. She's filled with fear, even terror, that she has lost me and always goes in search of me when I leave home. (coughs) She may be full of anger when she cannot get to me. So it's clear to me that she needs me now full time. The decision was made in a way 42 years ago when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health to death to us part. As a man of my word, integrity has something to do with it. But so does fairness. She's cared for me fully and sacrificially all these years. If I cared for her for the next 40 years, I would not be out of debt. Duty, however, can be grim and stoic. But there's more. I love Muriel. She's a delight to me. Her childlike dependence and confidence in me, her warm love, occasional flashes of that wit that I used to relish so, her happy spirit and tough resilience in the face of continual distressing frustration. I do not have to care for her. I get to. It's a high honor to care for so wonderful a person. I just say to you men, okay, your wives aren't listening now, remember, right? Men... That's what you're called to do for your wives. Sacrifice everything to serve them. If it means resigning from your job to serve your wife in this case, do it. And do it before they get sick. Do it now. Do it today. Ken Hughes gives a testimony about a month after his resignation was given. Kent and Barbara Hughes, he's pastor of College Church in Wheaton. Some of you know him. He's a great man. He wrote about his encounter with them. He said, Barbara and I had a brief visit with the McQuilkins and I witnessed Dr. McQuilkins' gentle, loving way with his dear wife and understood, who understood little what was going on. The memory of our visit is one of lingering beauty. Such beauty of Christ-like love did not just happen. It came from the inner resolve of a young husband who determined 42 years before to live under the authority of God's directives regarding how a godly man must love his wife, as spelled out in Ephesians 5. They are directives every Christian man ought to be familiar with, must understand, and I think must even commit to memory, as Kent Hughes said that he has done. They are a foundational discipline of marriage, the basis for holy matrimonial sweat. Hughes is talking about the words in Ephesians 5. I quoted the words of the wives. And if you thought that was hard... But what am I saying? Husbands, you weren't listening. And wives, they're not listening now. 
So they don't know. But Ephesians 5.25, right? Listen to how hard these words are. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. You have two models he gives here, and for the sake of time, we're going to zip through these things. First is the model of a man's love for his wife is to model Christ's love for the church. It's clear as day here. Right? Just as Christ loved the church, husbands, you have to love the wives. And pff, how did Christ love the church? Well, he only died for the church. He purchased the church. He ever lives to pray for the church. He's building the church. Someday he'll present the church in total purity to himself. Jesus loved the church sacrificially. And, and wives, you need to do it as well, right? You need to, husbands, I'm sorry, husbands, you need to do this as well. You need to die for your wives. Not literally, but, but die to your own self. You know, Yvonne's got a screensaver. She's really been thinking about this, what it means to love. She says this on her computer screen, her kitchen all the time. It says, love, colon. What does it say, Chris, if you read it? Dying to self. That's what it means. It's what's been on our minds the past couple of days. Man, that's what you need to do. Die to yourself. You need to pray for your wives as Christ prays for the church. Always, ever. Just God before the throne. I know I lack in this area big time. Praying for our wives. Continually they'd trust the Gospel. That they would trust in Christ. That they would walk righteously before Him. You need to build up your wife. Christ built the church. We need to build her up, right? Speak to her words of encouragement. That give grace to her. Help her to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Purify your wife. Don't ever lead her in the direction of sin. Always lead her in righteousness. You know, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's what we need to do. right? We know love because He laid down His life for us, right, for the church, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, but particularly today, for your wives. Lay it down. Put it out. Model number one, the church. Model number two, your flesh. You know, there's something mysterious about this. But a man and woman come together, they, they become one flesh, what the Bible says. So treat her as your own flesh. right? Treat her like a voodoo doll. You know what a voodoo doll is, right? Yet you pick this doll with pins and the other guy over here goes, oh, oh, oh. Well, that's whatever. Satanic black magic and stuff. But the principle applies, right? If your wife is hurting, feel it. If she's sick... Feel her sickness and care for her. Her muscles are sore. She has a tension headache, right? Wayne, done a great job. You told me the other day you spent like an hour or two hours just rubbing your wife's neck because she had a headache. (laughs) She's cold. Get a blanket. If you're in bed and she forgets something, you get up and you go take charge and you figure out that situation. She's hot. Fix her some lemonade. She's tired. Urge her to lie down. Honey, I'll clean the kitchen tonight. She's overwhelmed. Do some of her chores for her. Right? You know how you care for your flesh, right? 
care for her flesh as it's yours because really it is. Colossians 3.19 Husbands, love your wives. Don't be embittered against them. The NIV and the ESV simply say here that don't be harsh with them. I think that's what it's talking about. right? Don't demand your way. Don't men ever pick up this bat. Don't use it. Don't speak harshly with your wife. There's no room for you to raise your voice, express your anger, degrade your wife, or threaten her if she doesn't conform to your wishes. Right? Those are ways of dealing harshly with your wife. Rather, love her. Don't do those things. Don't be embittered against your wife. We could expand on that more, but we can't. We're going to come down here. Some final words. Okay? Women, you can come back now. Okay? Women, you come back. Let me ask you now, in the presence of all of us, we're all here now. Okay, maybe you feel like you've only got half a sermon. Maybe I should preach twice as long today, huh? <laughs> Husbands, have you ever wished that your wives would be more submissive to you? Wives, have you ever wished that your husbands loved you more? Here's my final counsel to you. Forget about it. Forget about what you want them to do but rather focus on your role. Because, husbands, if you set your heart fully to love your wife, it's going to become obvious to her. She's going to know it. And she demonstrate throughout your years your genuine interest in her well-being. It's going to be easier and easier and easier for her to submit to you because she knows of your loving leadership that you've provided her for her over the years is motivated for her interest and not your own, at the end of the day, submission will come easy. You want your wife to submit to you? Love your wife like crazy for years. And the submission will come easier and easier and easier and easier. Flip side's true. Wives, if you set your heart fully submitting to your husband, it will become obvious to him that you are seeking to obey the Lord in all things. And he'll see it. As you demonstrate throughout the years your heart to serve Him and help Him, He will come to love you more. And as He comes to love you more, He's not going to demand more and more things. He'll demand fewer and fewer and fewer things for you. His love for you will limit his, any unreasonable demands He has. Right? These things kind of grow on each other. When husbands love, wives submit. When wives submit, husbands love. When husbands love, wives submit. But you know what? They degrade too. When a husband fails to love, wives fail to submit. When wives fail to submit, husbands fail to love. Husbands fail to love, wives fail to submit. And it goes both ways. It's like this cycle. SR was telling me he's taking this manners class. He says, Dad, taking this manners class talking about writing thank you notes. And uh, he said, it's really funny that if you write a thank you note to somebody, what do they often do, SR? You were telling me at dinner last night? Yeah, they tell the story about people. Yeah. Back and forth, back and forth. Same thing happens when you focus on your role. So my counsel to you, sisters, forget forget your wife or your husband's role. Focus on your own role. And, and in your role, listen, model the gospel, right? Husbands, model love, right? Because you love because He first loved you. You're just merely doing that. Wives, model your submission to Christ. Because you submitted to the Lord, submit also to your husband. And I long to see, and I'm praying... God will give us happy marriages here at Rock Valley Bible Church. So let's pray.